0: The reading this morning is going to be taken from Malachi chapter 1 and the first five verses. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is not what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Thanks, Athol. Well, I'm excited this
1: morning to bring God's word and share some of his heart for you. We're starting a new series um, in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Hopefully uh, you might have had a chance to read through the book of Malachi this week. Hopefully uh, you might have even just been able to read through the first chapter. Hopefully these verses you might have found if you did read through the book of Malachi that uh, there's a feeling of a slow drum roll, at least from my reading, a slow drum roll That's building through Malachi. Just this murmur that that starts just a little bit here and a little bit here and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows leading up to chapter 4 where it finishes with a triumph. And so our series, we are looking at the best is yet to come. That as we go along, we're going to, there's going to be some stuff that God needs to deal with in Israel. Some of it's not easy stuff. But as we go along, there's still this. It's a positive hope, this reminder, this are you ready because the best is yet to come. God's people, they had, well, and we do too, stuff up in all sorts of ways, all the time, time and time again. But he reminds us that he's preparing something greater for us. It's a series of hope. It's a series of anticipation. It's a series of promise that what we've got now is not it. There is more coming. Malachi. Malachi, his name, it means messenger. He holds a special place in the Bible because he was the last of Israel's prophets and prophetesses. Just before God chooses to be silent. So we have this intertestamental period where we've uh, had prophet after prophet, significant person after significant person, who uh, who gives direction to God's nation from God up until the end of the Old Testament. And then we have this quiet period where God withholds his voice. And of course, we know uh, after the Old Testament comes the New Testament. And who comes next? It's the birth of Jesus. Jesus. That is what we are building up to. That is what we're leading to. The message of the prophets in general is to help bring the nation back in line with the will of God. To help them be set apart, distinctive, a holy nation so that others would see how great their God is so that they might have a chance to know him too. So there's a sense of anticipation going on here, even where he sits in history. Because, of course, we know there is something greater coming. There's someone greater coming. You know, sometimes they they really uplift King David. Well, the feeling with Malachi is, well, you know what, there's someone greater than King David coming. There's the feeling that, you know what, we have Moses We love Moses, but there's someone greater than Moses coming. We trace our ancestry and we get some of the ancestry here in this passage back to Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Me, son said, Father Abraham. Classic. So, even Abraham, there's someone far greater than even Abraham coming. Can you feel the building? The sense of anticipation that's there. It's building, it's building. The greatest one, the one that we have been waiting to come ever since first sin. That is who's coming. That is who we're preparing for. The best is yet to come. And so of course it sits really well for us as we lead up to a time of Christmas where we anticipate look forward to get ready for the birth of Jesus as well. Let me set the scene a little bit more about the book of Malachi to to set some context up for us in in context for our whole series. What is the time that Malachi is written into? What are the things that have been going on? The book of Malachi, it's dated around 430 BC, which either makes Malachi a contemporary of Nehemiah or perhaps he's come just after Nehemiah. And if you know much about Nehemiah, Nehemiah has uh, quite an important role in the, in the Bible. Nehemiah helped lead God's people back out of captivity where he, they were in Babylon. Nehemiah was under the, uh, the authority of King Artaxerxes. He asked permission when God laid it on his heart that for the king to send him back to, uh, to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. He was granted that in favour and so Nehemiah helped bring God's people back and to restore and rebuild and God brought them back from the brink of, of, of destruction and despair and restored them to their lands, to who they were. Nehemiah also helped fix their approach to the poor. He spearheaded all sorts of reform. They stopped cross-cultural marriages, which had seen them adopting and accepting the sinful practices of people from other places. He also helped them change their ways to keep the Sabbath. He also reinstituted, because they'd gotten away from it, bringing tithes and offerings faithfully to God. And if you want to read a bit more about the context, like some of this stuff, Nehemiah 10 can give you a picture of what they had to reform and change and come back to. And it's really interesting and it's important to know because a whole lot of these things that they had to reform in the very same generation were the things that they still got away from. At other times in, in Israel's history when they had made some mistakes and we would often read about, well, and then the next generation came or the next king came and then and then they managed to get back to the way it should have been. Or or next generation came and they, they sinned this and they sinned that. Whereas here, the same generation who'd come back, who'd been restored, who'd seen their, their dreams and their promises realised were the ones who had turned away once again. It's a bit devastating, I think. And you'll find that these things that they reformed and changed were some of the very things that they, despite having just changed, flipped back and started to commit all over again. So you'll find if if you have a bit of a read through Nehemiah in conjunction with Malachi, you'll see this pattern of, oh, God speaking against this. Which is something that's just happened here in Nehemiah as well. So we're going to begin at the start uh, from the reading that Athel brought to us and work our way all the way through, ne- uh, through Malachi up to chapter 4. It starts, verse 2, gets us off to a lovely start for a moment. It says, I have loved you, says the Lord. We don't go very far into Malachi. It doesn't go so good. But you ask, how have you loved us? Ouch. How's that? Who's uh, who's seen this movie? Who's seen this movie before? Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, everyone? Probably pretty close to everyone, I think. Does anyone want to take the challenge in one sentence to sum up what this movie is about? Life is like rain a box of chocolates, like box of chocolates. Rain forest Forest. Yeah. Big fat rain. Big fat rain. <laughs> These are just snippets though. So. Can anyone want to take the challenge to sum up the whole movie? Like, if you had a synopsis in one sentence, not just, just. can you, in one sentence, even try, yeah, come on, Linda, one sentence now, come on. This sentence can't have 17 clauses in it, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ke- Kelly, and then we'll go Ros. Well, two more. I'd say stupid is, and stupid does. Stupid, stupid is, and stupid does. Do this a good question there. What do you reckon, Ros? Ooh. Oh yeah, that is deep. I think that's a bit heavy for some of these guys. <laughs> I've got, I've got two words for you. I've got two words. Okay, love them or hate them. Okay, I've tried to sum it up in two words: unrequited love. Okay, now you might be thinking, unrequited love. What are you talking about? I think this movie is about unrequited love, okay? Unrequited love is where you love uh, someone or maybe something and that love isn't equally returned. It's like an, a power imbalance with the love. You love that person far more than they probably love you, okay? And I would say it's about unrequited love because it is an epic story where all these amazing things happen to a simple man but time and time again, he keeps coming back to this unrequited love. Jenny, that's right, Jenny, who time and time again, that love isn't quite equally returned. As soon as the next best thing comes along or the next something else takes her focus, she's off again. But as soon as he sees her again, he is right back in that same space unrequited love he's faithful he's kind he's always willing she's not always oh I, uh, I actually um before I wrote this I, I heard this described on the radio about Australia's relationship with America that that this person sort of thought that it always seems like Australia loves America a bit more than America seems to love us. I think I think that's probably the, the, the case for a lot of people. Anyway, a lot of nations. In my opinion, uh, I think one of the best illustrations of unrequited love is the relationship that every cat has with its human. It's human. I always get the overwhelming feeling when I see a cat and it's human because uh, that cat When they want to eat, and when they want to drink, when they want to be uncomfortable, they bug you and they bug you and they want, they want, they want. And once they don't want those things anymore, they're not so interested in you anymore. It's just my take, okay? If you're a cat person, you can argue with me and I'll understand, okay? Do you know what it's like to love someone and not be loved back? I reckon it's pretty much the definition of being a teenager. Don't know. I reckon just about every teenager movie has that feeling of that longing person. One of their characters, if only they'd notice me. You know, it's those thoughts. It's like you're invisible. You don't know what you can do to get them to recognise you. Every time you look at them, it's just like they stare right through you. And then when... When they do notice you, they don't notice you for who you really are. It's just not fair. They don't know all the things they go, you go to the extent to be noticed. They don't know that you collect every single one of the hairs that drop from their head in class, and you've got them stored in a jar in your closet at home. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> That feeling, why will you love me? Oh, or maybe you were the heartbreaker. Maybe you didn't notice, you know, that, that that person has been pining. Maybe you were the heartbreaker and you did notice and you just didn't care. God knows exactly what unrequited love is like. He asks the question. How have I loved you? You're asking this question of me? Your God? It's an incredulous question. Are you serious? How have I loved you? You are the very same people that I have just delivered from captivity, living in a foreign land, land, uh, going by foreign rules. Falling into ways that, that otherwise you would you would have run from. But, but you're, you're doing this and you're doing that. And, you, and I've brought you back from that. I've brought you back your land. If you don't know the value that Israel have on their land. How long have they been in war because of it? But it's a part of their chosen calling as God's people. And God has delivered them back to their sacred land. And they would ask this question. How? Have you loved us? Oh, it's just a small tip. If you're going to be ungrateful to someone, I suggest don't do it to someone who has the power to smite you. (laughs) Just as an aside, nothing to do with what's going to happen in the passage. It doesn't happen, but, but I'm just going to say it. God is the one who pours out the love but doesn't quite get it the same in return. Kind of makes you wonder about our actions, what we do. Do some sometimes do we treat him like he's invisible? Sometimes perhaps we don't recognise him quite as much as we should. Sometimes God is doing so much good for us in our lives that we get distracted with one small thing and we miss all the love that he's given us, all the things that he has done for us, all the things that he's actually setting up right now, preparing a way for us. If only we truly knew how much he loves us. If only we would love him the way he loves us. When we don't prioritise God, it makes people wonder if we really appreciate what he's done for us. You can only imagine how many times God has lost out when it comes to unrequited love. Now, the way God speaks here at the start of Malachi, it's the precise language that Paul picks up when he explains the election of grace in Romans 9. He explains that God's love is unconditional. It is not dependent on us. It's dependent on him. It says this, Romans 9, 10 to 13, and verse 16 explains, Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born, that's Jacob and Esau, Or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purposes in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. So God's love, he chooses right there to make a decision. You know what? These twins aren't even born yet. They have done nothing to deserve my love, but I am going to pour it out and this is going to be the chosen one through the nation of Israel will come. So the awesome fact is that God's love isn't earned. It comes from faithfulness to his people. And that comes through Jesus for us, all those who call on the name of Jesus. And the great thing about that is that even if we return to our sin, even if we miss all the love that God has given us and we get a bit ungrateful, it's all right because it wasn't ever dependent on us. It wasn't ever dependent on what we do. It's dependent on God, his unconditional love. It will always be there for us. So how good is that? That's God. how much God loves us. He chose Jacob without warranting it. And in fact, in their culture, Jacob wasn't the one deserving of the blessing because he was going to be the second born. Esau was supposed to have the blessing due to their culture. But God supersedes their culture and their ways and poured the blessing and chose Jacob. God does that for us there isn't a single thing that you could do to make him love you less oh but the things I've done oh if you knew that what I've done in my life if you knew those things oh if I walked into a church the building would fall down on my head I've had all those things said said to me it's like actually it's got nothing to do with what you've done it's got nothing to do with who you are it's got everything to do with God. Do you remember that feeling when you first knew God's love? Can you go back to that place? Hopefully you don't have to go back to that place. Hopefully that feeling is the same right now. That moment where you knew, you know what? He's forgiven me. He loves me unconditionally. Remember that feeling? that enthusiasm, that warmth you might have had inside. I I remember when I decided to get baptised. I got baptised on our church family camp out at at a big reservoir in the middle of winter. You could tell I wasn't a smart boy when I was younger. Um, I hadn't seen anyone else ever uh, being baptised in person. Uh, And so it, it felt like a special thing. One of, the, one of the things I remember was, you know, the feeling of everyone's attention being on me, uh, standing out there waist deep in the water with our, our minister. And it was actually really special to actually have all the attention on me at the time because what it made me feel was, because of all their attention, was how much God valued me. All these people had come to see me and what I was going to do. But, but how that translated to me, it was like being in a huge concert hall filled with people, with the lights dimmed. And it was like Jesus was on the stage with the one light and shining it on me. And that was the value that he had for me. And so therefore I was making that decision that morning. I love remembering that feeling and thinking back to that that time. Do you know that feeling, that spark, that piece of worth, that you are a jewel in his crown? Because that is what each one of us is. If we have a jewel and we get some dust on it, if we have a diamond and we get some dust on it, what is it? It's still a diamond, right? If we have a a diamond and we hold it high in the air, it's still a diamond. If we go down to the water, down to the beach, and we hold that diamond underneath the water and bring it back up and bring it back down, and that diamond might feel like it's drowning a little bit and overcome with its circumstance. What is it? It's still a diamond, If we decide to go out the back when we get home and put that diamond in a hole and bury it over, what is it still? It's still a diamond. That is who we are to God no matter where we find ourselves, no matter the sin we find ourselves in, no matter the circumstances we're surrounded with, we are still a diamond. How good is that? God has loved us, and I'm dwelling on this you know strongly at the start because that's how God starts this. He puts this first I have loved you. And we can't ever forget that. I have loved you. It can be pretty easy though to sometimes be ungrateful to God for what He's done for us personally. It was actually the charge that Jesus gave the Ephesian church in Revelation. He says, you have gotten away from your first love. You have loved me. But some stuff has happened where your focus and your, your importance has fallen onto other things instead of your first love. I know without a doubt I've forgotten about this love of God sometimes. I know that I've forgotten far more of what God's done for me than I can remember today. All sorts of distractions come along to really try and suck our attention away and that we do forget. And sometimes we find ourselves perhaps in one of these circumstances when we're faced with suffering over a long time with no relief in sight. We question, does God really love us? When we see an unethical and cruel person prosper in our pride, we rashly doubt God's special love for us. When we're faced with heavy temptation, we get unsure about the personal uh, personal nature of the salvation that we've been given. And sometimes when we're immersed in the world, when we're gratifying our flesh, and when we lose sense of spiritual things, we treat God's love as though it was just a story. The reminder we need, we always need, is in verse 5. It says, you will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. How great is our God, huh? Even after the, 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 the charges that are laid across the Israelites here, we will still see how great is our God. His track track record for all that he's done is the evidence for all that he's going to do. If God is really unchanging and he's done all these things for us in the past, he will continue to be faithful in his love in the future as well. It's that moment when you go, I reckon i will cut out a whole lot of the sermon, which you're probably glad, that'd, that'd be a good thing. Can you imagine what it might have been like to be at the dawn of creation? To have seen the ocean separate from the skies, to watch as all the rivers of the earth bubble up, come forth at the word of God, thousands of them born like that, to see the water come from nowhere, but to flow and to flow and to flow until even now as we live, those rivers flow on. What a beauty that would be. To see that spring forward, to see the life start. Can you imagine it? Can you put yourself there? Yet the love of God is that fountain from which all rivers of mercy have ever flowed and greeted us. And that mercy continues to flow today. To conclude, I want to invite you to a time of reflection. To dwell in what God has done for us to perhaps dwell in some of the answers prayer, that unless we're forced to think about it, we just forget ourselves. Maybe it's about the safety he's given you, protection, health, roof over your head, friends, family, opportunities, to recognise all that God has already done for us. So I want you to think about it. When has God worked for your good? It might have been a job you got. You might have met an important person in your life. Maybe he stopped an opportunity from happening in his love. Maybe it was just when your car wouldn't start and you prayed and he started it for you. Perhaps he's opened someone up to you. Perhaps he's opened someone up to you to share Jesus with them. I want to encourage you to dwell on one of these things for a moment. And if you don't have one of those things, I want to encourage you to dwell on the love that Christ has for you. That love that he promises and that he gave to you in the sacrifice on the cross. Lord, may we never get away from our thankfulness for that. When has God worked for your good? I'm going to read a short poem and I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer. And please, I want to encourage you. After I pray, I'm not going to close the time of prayer, but I want to encourage you that if there's something that that perhaps you can thank God for, whether it's answered prayer or if it's just appreciation for what he's done for you, We're going to have a space and time for us to give thanks to God, to show him the love that he deserves, to give back to the God who is ever-giving. So I'm going to read this poem, open a time of prayer, and then we're going to give people an opportunity. And I'll close our time afterwards. (laughs) What is more tender than a mother's love to the sweetest infant fondling in her arms? What arguments need her compassion move to hear its cries and help in its, in, in its harms? Now if the tenderest mother were possessed of all the love within her single breast, of all the mothers since the world began, tis nothing to the love of God to man. God, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you, God. How you are ever faithful to us. Lord, faithful and true and unchanging. God, as you have been faithful in the past, you are faithful today. God, as you have been loving in the past, you are loving today. God, as you are gentle in the past, you are gentle today. God, as you show... Massive self-control in the past, even in the face of such incredulous ungratefulness. God, you so show self-control with us today. And God, I want to personally thank you, Lord, for the safe delivery of our child. Lord, for the health of our babies. And Lord, for our family that Sarah and I share. God, I thank you for uh, the recent conversation I've had, Lord. You know, with, um, with someone close to me, that wasn't an easy conversation, Lord. I thank you that you seized my words with salt. God, that you gave them a humble heart to hear them. And Lord, that relationship has gone forward and not backward because of that conversation. God, I thank you for answering that prayer. And Lord, thank you for delivering us into a, a new space in that, in that friendship together. Lord, in this week, may we be ever-knowing of your ever-present love with us and for us. And Lord, help that drive us to greater thankfulness, appreciation for what you have done. And God, stir in us our memories, Lord, those things you have done that we've forgotten. Lord, help us celebrate them again. God, because we've given thanks to you for them once, twice, maybe three times, doesn't mean, God, we can't praise you a tenth, an eleventh, a twelfth time and forevermore, God. Help us continue our celebrations for the love that you've given us and all that you have done. It's in your name we pray. Amen.